DW, World in Progress. With Anchor Rasper. Diabetes is an increasing health concern globally. More than half a billion people already suffer from it, and their number is on the rise. Many of them in low- and middle-income countries. Patients are at risk to suffer from lots of related health problems, including strokes, kidney failure, blindness or even death. Many people don't have access to proper health care, and for poor patients it's even harder to get treatment, and their risk to become diabetic is often very high because unhealthy food and constant stress increase the risk. But there are some signs of hope as well, as reporter Tony Neumann explains in the next half hour. The story starts in South Africa. Neil King is the presenter. This is Strandfontein, a concrete hut settlement near Cape Town, South Africa. Retired nurse Veronica Wember is tending to local diabetes patients who have no access to proper health care. Yesterday, Wember visited an elderly couple in the area. The man has dementia. His wife, who has diabetes, needs to administer insulin several times daily and make sure she has regular meals. When I went to the house, there was no food in the house. And the woman is a diabetic. So I asked her, what did you have for supper? She said to me she had a piece of bread for supper. And then in the morning it's just bread. And then she makes toast and then it's like plain untoasted bread that she's having. But there is no substantial food in the house. So we as a diabetic club, we actually, each one of us, bring every month and then we bring a tin of whatever there is in a cupboard to give a grocery parcel to these people. Diabetes is a chronic disease that's caused when a person's pancreas produces too little or no insulin, a hormone that breaks down blood sugar. Diabetes can lead to kidney disease, nerve and vascular damage, as well as blindness. Type 2 diabetes is the most common form and usually results from poor diet and obesity. Type 1 diabetes, which is much rarer, is an autoimmune disease that's usually diagnosed in childhood. There are almost 600 million diabetics in the world today, and the International Diabetes Federation estimates there will be 1.3 billion by 2050. Diabetes is on the rise in Europe and the US, but increasingly also in the Arab world, South Asia and Africa. Many people with mild type 2 diabetes are treated with an inexpensive drug called metformin. Those who suffer from more severe type 2 diabetes or from type 1 diabetes need to take insulin. But insulin, injection pens and blood glucose monitoring kits are expensive in many countries, like Haiti for example. There, Many simply accept their health condition, says Port-au-Prince doctor Nancy Larco. In their mind, you know, and with the culture, mostly they put it on a mystical reason. And if they don't have access to care, most of them, they just accept their fatality and they develop complications and then unfortunately they die. Matters are similarly bleak in Africa and South Asian countries like Pakistan, where only a small minority of people with diabetes have access to proper health care. And in the US, diabetes patients face steep insulin costs, says Shaina Kasper of T1 International, a non-profit organization. One in four patients with diabetes has rationed insulin due to cost. 
And that's in large part because the big three insulin manufacturers, Eli Lilly, Nova Nordisk, and Sanofi, really just dominate the insulin market. And that has meant that since the 1990s, the cost of insulin has gone up over 1,200%. And the cost of production for a vial of most analog insulins, most commonly used forms of insulin, is really only a couple of bucks, you know, three, four, five, six, ten dollars to manufacture insulin. And yet they're charging over $300 a vial for some insulins at the pharmacy counter today. Poor people with diabetes have a particularly hard time getting treatment. And that's although they tend to have a much higher likeliness of developing type 2 diabetes in the first place, says German doctor Andreas Klinger. The reason is that poorer people tend to consume more unhealthy food, exercise less often and experience more stress, says Klinger. We know from Europe and our own country Germany that the prevalence of type 2 diabetes is higher among those people in society who are poor, dealing with unemployment and living in underprivileged conditions. Back in South Africa, it's hectic at Cape Town's Grote Schnur Hospital. Nurses and doctors are rushing from one room to the next as patients and relatives wait to talk to medical experts. A brand new diabetes centre has been set up on the top floor. There we meet director Professor Joel Dave, a young, wiry man with a sports watch on his arm. The diabetologist loves running. Dave estimates that 15% of South African adults have diabetes, twice as many as in Germany. He says South Africa's diabetes problem has a lot to do with what people eat. At many of South Africa's pick-and-pay supermarkets, maize, sausages, potato chips, lemonade and other snacks are far cheaper than more healthy options like potatoes, vegetables, fruit and dairy products. And South Africa's suburbs consisting of tenement blocks, corrugated iron huts and concrete shacks offer no space to grow one's own vegetables. On top of that, many people who moved into South Africa's cities don't know how to stick to a healthy diet, says Professor Dave. If we have a look at the diet across Africa, it's always been predominantly carbohydrate. In South Africa, it's maize meal. In many other countries, it's cassava, which is predominantly carb-based. But, you know, fast food is finding its way through everywhere. We have Kentucky Fried Chicken, we have Steers, we have McDonald's. And it seems to attract a lot of eaters. So many people moving into the cities. The cities are dangerous. People are in their houses. They're not outdoors. In the old days, people used to walk distances to work. Now they're hopping in taxis that will pick them up right outside their house and drop them right outside their work. So all in all, it doesn't spell for a healthy type of lifestyle. Half of South African women and 20% of children are now overweight, says the diabetologist. Many also lead very stressful lives, not knowing where their next meal will come from, if they will fall victim to domestic abuse or street violence. Stress releases cortisol in the body, a hormone that has been found to make diabetes more likely. As a result, many South Africans develop diabetes too before reaching the age of 40. In fact, today more South Africans die from diabetes-related complications than from HIV, tuberculosis or malaria taken together. Diabetes is now the most common cause of death among South African women. 
That's also because the medical condition is often diagnosed late in life, if at all. South African health centres only measure blood sugar levels in patients who are chronically ill. This means around half of all people with diabetes never have their medical condition diagnosed. That said, every South African has a right to free state health care. And those that are properly diagnosed can get decent treatment, says Professor Dave. People across the country have access to metformin, a rapid-acting insulin, a long-acting insulin and a premix insulin. They also have access to glucometers only if they are on insulin and have access to strips. And all of this, you know, is given dependent on someone's salary. So if you're earning nothing, you get it for free. If you're earning a certain amount, you pay in proportion to what you're earning. How that filters through into the various health departments in the country and then to the various clinics depends on the efficiencies on how the various health systems in the various provinces are run. In the Western Cape, we're very, very lucky that it's run efficiently. You know, what is determined above reaches the people. Cape Town's Hanover Park Health Centre, for example, is efficiently run and well-stocked. Over 3,000 diabetes patients receive treatment here. One of them is 58-year-old Shamima Kuila. Smiling, she shows off a box of medical supplies she's received today. This is my insulin. This is a Rydeck, my blood tablet, and that's pain tablets. She's received insulin, syringes, tablets, test strips to measure her blood sugar, as well as blood pressure and cholesterol medication. But health centres in many other parts of South Africa are not as fortunate. Take Strandfontein, a community of 20,000 people just south of Cape Town. Retired nurse Veronica Wember and a group of other locals run a diabetes club that provides advice and medical care for hundreds of diabetes patients. Many Strandfontein families have no more than 100 to 200 euros of social benefits at their disposal each month, says Wember. Strandfontein has no health centre, and the health centre in the neighbouring town of Mitchell's Plain has a strict limit on medical supplies. Diabetes patients are allowed no more than 25 test strips and 25 lancets for measuring blood sugar levels every four months. How are you going to eat? You can't even check your levels. So people go into hyper or even hypo because maybe the sugar levels is already low. Now they take the treatment as well and then everything drops. Then they go into fainting spells. So it's totally ridiculous. You cannot have four months of 25 strips. Veronica Wember knows that many patients are unable to manage their diabetes due to irregular meals, which can mess up insulin levels. The consequences can be dangerous or even fatal. Too much insulin can cause hypoglycemia. That's when the blood sugar gets too low, leading to trembling, sweating, headaches and confusion. But it's not only a problem when the blood sugar levels are too low. Hyperglycemia, or high blood sugar, in turn can cause severe thirst, a strong urge to urinate, headaches, and in extreme cases, ketoacidosis, when harmful substances called ketones build up in the blood, making it highly acidic. This can be life-threatening and requires quick medical treatment. A few weeks ago, Wember learned that one of her diabetes patients died. The woman's death could have been avoided if her family had known more about her medical condition. I didn't see this lady in the club for a long time. 
And then I've contacted the family to find out where she is. And then they said, no, she died. She went into a hypo and they didn't know it was hypo. And she passed away. And I thought to myself that there's another way for me to actually educate. The whole family needs to know what is hyper and what is hypo so that they know how to treat the parent as well. Back at Grote Schnur Hospital, Professor Dave says food insecurity is one of the biggest challenges for diabetes patients. This is made worse by the fact that doctors in South Africa's public health care system can't devote much time to individual patients. That makes it impossible to properly educate them about managing diabetes, says Dave. So most of them don't change their lifestyles. And that's the reason why there are many diabetes-related complications, such as nerve, vascular and kidney damage, as well as blindness in the country, says Patrick Ngusser Piotier. The Cameroonian public health expert heads the University of Pretoria's Diabetes Research Unit. Half of what South Africa spends on managing and treating diabetes, he says, goes towards preventable diabetes complications. Recent studies is now showing that cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, hypertension are now leading the cause of admission in hospitals. So if we're already starting to see that, the specialists themselves start to be overwhelmed. For example, your surgery department, they have to perform more amputations. You have your nephrology department, your internal medicine department, where they have to handle diabetes, ketoacidosis and coma, where they have to handle people coming with kidney failures. Piotier predicts that South Africa's health system will be unable to handle the increasing number of diabetes cases in the coming years. That's because qualified medical staff are leaving their jobs, and the public health care system, which also faces the challenge of treating 7 million HIV patients, is under pressure as South Africa deals with rampant corruption and the threat of bankruptcy. While diabetes is not yet very prevalent elsewhere on the African continent, cases are rising rapidly. The International Diabetes Foundation estimates that by 2040, the number of African diabetes patients will double. A few years ago, this author travelled to Mali, a sparsely populated, desperately poor country torn apart by armed conflict. Many places can only be reached via dirt roads that are difficult to pass, and most health centres are only found in cities. French doctor Stéphane Bessanson heads Santé Diabète, a non-governmental organisation that tends to Malian children with type 1 diabetes. He says two-thirds of people with diabetes go undiagnosed in the West African country. People say there is no children with type 1 in Africa or few children. But the example in Mali, there were seven children 15 years ago with type 1. No, there is 1,500. And why the children is living with type 1? Because we provide insulin. So the access to insulin explains why in the country we provide free insulin through humanitarian program. Children are alive. No, you are, you are the same phenomenon in Tanzania, in Guinea, there is program with free insulin. But initially in this country, there was just 5, 10, 15 children with type 1. Santé Diabète runs 30 diabetes clinics in Mali, providing free and sometimes life-saving medical care for children and young people. 
Diabet treats young diabetes patients up to the age of 30 and provides relatively inexpensive insulin to older patients, which still, however, costs around 20% of an average Mali family income. Matters can get very serious when Malians need to see a doctor over diabetes-related complications or life-threatening hyperglycemia. Only very few Malians have health insurance, and those without insurance can only get treatment if they pay hospitals in cash. If uh, someone can pay for you, insulin and all needed to treat your ketoacidosis, I don't know how you will live, but if you have no money and no one can pay to you, you will maybe 70% chance to die. So if you have no money, it's a big problem. Things are not much easier in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, as this author learned in Cité Soleil Shantytown in Haiti's capital Port-au-Prince. The driver was playing the Cité Soleil anthem on his smartphone as we made our way through the slum, which is home to 400,000 people. As we passed rusty corrugate iron huts, we saw children rummaging through garbage dumps, women washing clothes in sewers, and criminal gangs who had blocked off roads with burning tyres. Port-au-Prince-based doctor and diabetes expert Nancy Laco says Haiti has endured one catastrophe after the next. We had a phenomenal kidnapping situation. Gangs now are getting everywhere, so everybody is exposed. So you can imagine that with stress, you have a more producing cortisol, which is the hormone of stress, is for sure higher. And in 2010, with the earthquake, Fadimak has made a study with the cortisol, and we saw that right after the earthquake, the level of the cortisol of the patients was very high. And on the time, it went down. It was replaced by at what they call the post-traumatic syndromes. All this stress drives up cortisol levels, which can make diabetes more likely. In addition, many Haitians do not stick to a healthy diet. Rice and pasta cooked in oil is common, and so are sweet drinks. Young people tend to get diagnosed with diabetes, but saying anything about the overall prevalence of diabetes in the country is difficult, as only a minority of Haitians see a doctor to get checked, says Larco. That's because seeing a doctor means having to foot the bill in cash, just like in Mali and many other countries. And often people are superstitious about the root causes of their health problems. Sometimes there are other people coming to them to say, well, you're like that because someone else doesn't like you. And this person is doing such, 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 such. So like say, for example, when you have a foot which is really infected and they think it's someone who have spread something on their bed or on their jaw and they develop that. So they believe that they have to do the same thing and go to the boko, which is the voodoo priest, and say, well, this is this person is doing something to me, so I have to fight back. Nancy Larco heads the Haitian Foundation of Diabetes and Cardiovascular Disease, or FADIMAC for short. It runs several health centers for people with diabetes who are charged for receiving treatment, but children with type 1 diabetes are treated for free, thanks to funding from the Life for a Child initiative and the insulin industry. But that can cause problems. A young girl, nine years old, and she couldn't come anymore to port au because the roads are blocked. 
So the mother bought an insulin. And when we arrived at the hospital, the mom came with the girl really unconscious. She was saying, I don't understand. I was giving her that insulin and she doesn't get better. And we gave fluids and insulin. Five hours later, the girl went out from her coma and the mother was very happy. And when we saw the insulin, it was a counterfeit insulin. Larco's foundation tries to educate Haitians about the dangers of counterfeit medication, how to avoid developing diabetes through healthy diets and exercise, and managing the health condition. They run radio and television ads to get the word out. But reaching slum dwellers, like the people of Cité Soleil, is proving hard. Larco also says the Haitian state is doing too little to tackle diabetes. Authorities think other problems are more urgent, she says. But even in the US, the richest country in the world, millions of diabetes patients worry about whether they can keep affording medical treatment for their condition. Large pharmaceutical corporations there are looking to make billions. The US is by far their largest market. There are over 30 million diabetes patients in the US. Around 8.5 million need insulin, and 1.5 million type 1 diabetics depend on insulin for their lives, says Shaina Kasper of T1 International in Washington. If I go without insulin for just a couple of hours, I start to feel the effects. My blood sugar starts to skyrocket. And what that looks like for me first is I just get really, really thirsty. I start peeing a lot. I quickly feel really nauseous. I sometimes throw up because my body has too much sugar in my blood. Your body literally is turning your blood into acid. It's called diabetic ketoacidosis, and it can be fatal in just a couple of hours. And so insulin is as critical as oxygen for patients with diabetes. We really cannot survive very long without it. There's a wide variety of different insulin types available in rich countries. Among them, synthetic human insulin, which is identical to the insulin produced by the human pancreas. It's been on the market for 40 years. Then there is insulin analogue, an altered form of natural insulin that is fast and long-acting. It comes in insulin injector pens. Join a thriving community of people who stopped listening to what type 1 diabetes is supposed to be and started living the life they want with the T-Slim X2 insulin pump from Tandem Diabetes Care. Using predictive algorithms, the T-Slim X2 pump can anticipate glucose levels 30 minutes in advance. People with type 1 diabetes can also get insulin pumps, which inject the right amount of insulin into the body at the right time. The small electronic devices are often connected to blood glucose meters. Insulin pumps, however, can cost up to $5,000 and another $3,500 a year to run, plus the cost of the insulin. That's something many diabetes patients simply cannot afford. I use several different insulins and different insulin pens for short-acting insulin and long-acting insulin. So for me, it's about $130 a month. And that is about what I pay with my private insurance, which costs, you know, almost $1,000 a month. Overall, even with my insurance, it costs about $7,000 a year between all of the insulin and testing supplies and doctor's appointments and blood work and everything else. The cost of insulin is so steep because the world market is dominated by just three companies, Eli Lilly, Sanofi and Novo Nordisk. That's also why there is practically no generic insulin available. 
The prospects of smaller companies taking on the big pharmaceutical companies is slim. And because there are no price caps on medicine in the US, the cost of insulin has skyrocketed in the last two decades. In the US, insulin is about 10 times more expensive than in the EU. In Germany, health insurers cover the cost of diabetes medication and treatments, and they can push down the price of insulin thanks to their market power. In the US, on the other hand, there are many different public and private health insurers that negotiate with pharmaceutical companies via brokerage firms over which products they will cover and at what price. These negotiations also set out how much patients need to pay. Uninsured Americans and undocumented migrants with type 1 diabetes, meanwhile, pay up to $1,000 a month for insulin. For many years, US Congress has debated a price cap on insulin. Then, in 2002, it made a breakthrough. Pensioners on the National Medicare Health Insurance Program won't have to pay more than $35 a month for insulin. Insulin makers, which had resisted price caps all this time, announced voluntary price drops. Everyone who needs insulin should be able to get it, right? Lilly is capping the out-of-pocket cost of its insulin at $35. Pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly, for example, said it will limit out-of-pocket costs for diabetes patients for certain insulin types. Patients with and without health insurance will pay no more than $25 per insulin vial. But Shaina Kasper says voluntary price caps are not good enough. These are voluntary price reductions from the insulin manufacturers. But when patients can't access them at the pharmacy counter, there's no recourse because it's totally voluntary. So that's still why we want an enforceable price cap for all insulins, because that's really how we're going to make insulin affordable and accessible to all. German doctor Andreas Klinger is also critical of this pricing policy. Klinger, a member of the German Medical Association's Drug Commission, points out that pharmaceutical companies charge far more for insulin analogues than human insulin, even though they cost roughly the same to produce. And that's although insulin analog has few advantages over human insulin. There is no scientific evidence indicating diabetes complications are less pronounced when patients use insulin analogues instead of human insulin. The crucial difference is how do I want to live my life? For example... Do I want to eat something now and inject insulin beforehand, or do I have to space out insulin injecting and eating? In spring 2023, insulin manufacturer Sanofi sent an announcement to Klinger and 10,000 other medical professionals around the world. The pharmaceutical company said it would discontinue the production and sale of human insulin to safeguard the production of the company's more frequently prescribed insulins. Klinger had to switch many of his diabetes patients to other insulin types. He says Sanofi's announcement is cynical and fears other pharmaceutical companies could stop supplying human insulin as well. This would drive up the cost of insulin even further in many poor countries. He points out a fundamental problem. Why, he asks, do public universities limit themselves to basic research into drugs? especially when the pharmaceutical industry subsidizes this research. And why does the state allow pharmaceutical companies to tap into this basic research to then develop drugs with comparatively little effort? 
was an klinischer Forschung, also Medikamente für Clinical research is mainly left to the pharmaceutical industry. When it comes to developing new drugs or drug research as a whole, most studies are commissioned and paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. This means the pharmaceutical industry determines where newly developed drugs will become available and at what price, with millions of patients worldwide paying considerable sums to buy drugs they depend on, just so that pharmaceutical companies can make billions. Some 4.5 billion people, more than half the world's population, don't have access to essential medicine such as insulin, and that figure is rising. This is despite the fact that the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals for 2030 call for healthcare access for all, and especially for people with health conditions like diabetes, which are relatively easy to manage. But in poor countries, most pharmacies don't stock insulin because pharmaceutical companies don't expect to earn much money there. And where insulin is available, most people can't afford it. That's why experts are increasingly urging the state, rather than companies, to develop and produce vital medicines such as insulin. The US state of California is doing just that. From 2024, California will begin manufacturing essential insulin types and sell them at a fraction of current market prices. This feature on diabetes was presented by Neil King. The author was Tony Neumann. To listen again, go to DW Podcasts on YouTube or find World in Progress wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next week for a new edition. Thanks for your interest today. Goodbye from today's Bond Studio team. That's Jan Winkelmann, Wiebke Tegmeier and me, Anke Rasper. Take care.